0: Well, this morning we continue where we left off in James uh, chapter 2. And the the plan at this point is to pick back up with James in January after uh, we've moved through the the holiday season. Now, if you have already taken a look at uh, the sermon title, uh, then you will have noticed it is Justified by Works. That's right, Justified by Works which may seem to fly in the face of orthodox Christianity. Uh, not only being unbiblical, unbiblical, but heresy to the highest degree. Because we're, we're talking about salvation, right? And yet it comes straight from our text this morning. Uh, James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Justified by works. This phrase is used three times by James in our brief passage. Of course, we we usually hear about justification from Paul, uh, but now we're hearing about it from James. And if you were uh, with us last week, I want you to think about it this way. They are each coming at justification at the gospel from a different point of view, okay? So remember the the illustration that Bob used last week, that, that we're... We're all here in this room together, Uh, we are all focused on the same thing, but from different points of view. In other words, me looking out into the congregation, you looking up toward the pulpit. Same focus, different point of view. Well, Paul and James are looking at the same thing from two different and relevant angles. So, I heard someone put it like this, uh, saying that it's like needing to see the same object with both eyes, okay? If you only look at it something with one eye, you lose a level of depth perception. Uh, you, you need two eyes looking at the same object to have, to have proper uh, depth perception. Because you see, each eye, when, when it is looking uh, from a slightly different perspective at the same object at the same time, what results is that you actually see it better. In the same way, James is looking at the same gospel from a slightly different perspective than Paul. And since Paul speaks of justification by faith, then what in the world does James mean by justification by works? Our passage uh, this morning, James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Now, if you missed The first sermon on this section of James 2, then I would recommend that you go back and listen to it at some point. Uh, Today is the the second and and final sermon uh, on this section as we uh, wrap up chapter 2. Again, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 20 to 26, but in just a moment, I'm going to to read the entirety of this particular section, uh, beginning with verse 14 for the sake of context. But before we hear this part of God's Word, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, our good and gracious God, oh, how we thank You for making Yourself known to us. We thank You for Your Word, for the good news of Your saving grace proclaimed in it. We would ask now that You would open our hearts to receive Your Word, Your life-giving Word, that You would open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus. And we ask this so that we might hear, understand, believe, and be changed. Amen. So I invite you now to hear the Word of God, James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. "'What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, "'Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, "'You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works.'" You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then our passage, beginning verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed For as the body, apart from the Spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. And this is God's Word. Yes, this is God's Word, His sometimes confusing, often complex Word, but nonetheless, His very understandable and life-giving Word and so what I want us to do this morning as we approach the text is, is I, want us, I want us to approach it this way. Uh, let's first make some preliminary observations, and then, then we'll walk through the two uh, biblical illustrations that James gives us in the passage, uh, and finally we'll consider some personal implications for us. Okay, so that, that's where we're headed. Some initial observations, uh, then the Old Testament illustrations in the passage, and finally uh, implications for us today. And so, first, some preliminary observations. Uh, Take a look. The key verse, verse 24. James writes, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Uh, But I also want you to note how this passage is bookended. Okay, verses 20 and, and 26, these parallel bookends. Verse 20 Faith apart from works is useless. And then a stronger statement, verse 26, faith apart from works is dead. So the main point, genuine faith is evidenced by works. Okay, bottom line up front, there you have it. And, and, and James is using uh, vivid imagery, I mean, clearly, when, when he compares faith without works to a dead body in a morgue. Now, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Uh, once upon a time, Grace Covenant used to meet in a funeral home, so there was it was ample opportunity for this illustration to be brought home. Just pull back the curtain. A little creepy. I wasn't part of the church at that moment, but so Eugene Peterson puts it this way: uh, the very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the very same thing: a corpse. And and that's what James is getting at. Because what he wants us to understand is this. He wants us to understand that real living faith is evidenced by real living fruit. Okay, so back to the key verse, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What in the world? Okay, because Paul says that we're justified by faith alone and not by what we do. Yet James says that we're justified by what we do and not by faith alone. So, so what's the deal? Which is it? So one commentator uh, points out how words can often have different meanings, right? You know, so, you know sometimes it's uh, primary and secondary meanings. Uh, sometimes it's uh, original Uh, versus uh, now a a common day, more common meaning. And so let me me ask you this. What do you think about the use of vulgar language in worship? What do you think about the use of vulgar language in worship? Now, of course, the expected answer is no way. I mean, come on, no way should you be using vulgar language. Uh, language uh, in, in worship. And yet, our church's historic statement of faith says that it should be used, stating this, the Scriptures are to be translated into the vulgar language of the people so that they may worship God in an acceptable manner. All right, I see some light bulbs going off. That's good. Uh, because the, the, the word vulgar originally meant common or ordinary. And so, of course, we're going to use the Scriptures translated into the common, ordinary, everyday language of English. And yet, of course, we know that today the, the word vulgar has a, a completely different meaning, typically referring to crude, offensive language. Same word, different Meaning. Well, the key word in our passage, if you haven't figured it out yet, is the word justified. Okay, key word, justified. And typically in the Bible, justified means what? It means to be made right with God, the act of being made right with Him. Sometimes, though, as in this case, justified means to be shown to be right with God, evidence that one is right with Him. Same word. Different meaning. So I, w- I want you to think about it like this. If you say to me, justify that statement, of course, maybe right now you're thinking, justify that sermon. What, what what do you mean? Well, I can tell you what you don't mean. You you don't mean make the statement true. Rather, what you mean is prove that statement, show me, give me evidence, demonstrate that it's true. And so, you see, James uses the word justified differently than Paul. Paul primarily emphasizes being declared righteous by God through faith. James primarily emphasizes demonstrating through works that one is right with God. With James, it's not about what makes one right with God, but rather about evidence that one is right with God. Okay, so Paul and James, they are on the same team. They really are. The same gospel team. And simply put, uh, both Paul and James say this, and and, and you've heard this before, we're saved by grace through faith alone, but grace gives us a faith that is never alone. Okay, and and that's the gist of verse 26, really, of of, of the, the whole of our passage. And it's what James really wants us to understand here. And so what James is, is getting at is he's saying that, that sound doctrine, uh, intellectual assent, a mere profession of faith is not enough to show that you are really right with God. There must be real concrete change happening in your heart and being expressed through your life. Okay, real, actual, concrete change, faith in works, faith expressing itself in love. James wants us to understand that real living faith always bears real living fruit. Again, James is not saying that you're saved by your works, but rather that you're shown to be saved by your works. Again, verse 24, James says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so he's he's intentionally being abrupt here, unnerving, trying to to get our attention. And and he does a pretty good job of it with a statement like that. So another pastor puts it this way. James is saying this, I want to show you how you can know you're saved. Not how you get saved, not how to become saved, not how to become right with God. I want to show you how you know you have a living faith. Because if you say you have faith, but these things are not in your life, then your faith is dead. It's not alive. It's not real saving faith. And so how do you know that you have a living faith? How do you know that you're truly alive and right with God? Well, James gives us two examples. Two examples that show us two signs of real living faith. And so now let's take a look at those two examples, uh, the biblical illustrations from our passage. And what a contrast, right? What a contrast between these, these two people. Because you've got the patriarch in the prostitute. As one biblical scholar writes, Abraham, a major Bible figure. Rahab, a minor participant. Abraham, the father of the faith. Rahab, an outcast foreigner. Abraham, the respected. Rahab, the disreputable. Abraham, a wealthy man. Rahab, a poor woman. As so often, The contrast is intended to alert us to the fact that a fully comprehensive statement is being made, as it were, covering the situation all the way from Abraham to Rahab and back again. The primary works of faith, then, are the works of Abraham and Rahab, and they apply to all without exception. The primary works of of faith." Okay, so what what primary works of faith do we find here? What what signs of real living faith does James show us? Well, here's what we see. We see that real living faith is both alive to others and also alive to God. We see that real living faith is alive to others. Okay, think about the way that James begins this section of chapter 2. Back in verse 14, saying that we must care for others in need. In fact, the whole thrust of what James has been saying uh, throughout chapters uh, 1 and 2, when he's talking about caring for others, is about more than merely serving them. Because you can serve someone and not care at all about them, right? And so what he's getting at is that it's, it's about actually caring for them, which means that it is a heart change, a heart that is moved toward people. Otherwise. As he says at the end of chapter 1, we deceive our hearts. So James insists that our service of others flow from a changed heart that is actually moved to works of love, faith expressing itself in love for others. And we get a picture of this through the story of Rahab. Verse 25, and in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way." So Rahab, uh, we, we meet her in the, in the book of Joshua. Uh, Rahab, a Canaanite woman, lived in the city of Jericho. And if you know the story, you know that she assisted God's people in capturing her city. Okay, she did this by hiding the Israelite spies. They had come uh, she helped them escape because their cover had been busted when they were on their uh, reconnaissance mission. Now, why did she do this? She did it because she and, and many people in Jericho had heard of this God, had heard of the Lord, had heard of Yahweh. And the more she heard, the more she considered. And the more she considered, she the more she realized this is true. And so she finally came to the point of believing in him as the one true God the one only God, and her allegiance changed. The allegiance of her heart now aligned with God and God's purposes, and so she risks everything to help God's people. Rahab put her trust in the Lord, and she demonstrated her faith by her works. Thus, as one theologian said, Rahab became a model of faith-completed faith completed In works." Well, not only is real living faith alive to others, we also see that it is alive to God. Faith expressing itself in love for God. And we get a picture of this through the story of Abraham. Now, verse 21, "...was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac, on the altar. Now, you know the story. So we go back to Genesis 15. Uh, God promises to bless Abraham, uh, then childless, promises to bless him with a son, uh, takes him outside at night, says, look up at the stars, count them if you can. He, of course, you could see so many more stars than we can uh, here today. Points up and says, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And then we read in Genesis 15:6. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same verse that James quotes in our passage. Abraham was justified by faith. He was given right standing with God by believing God and His promises, by taking God at His word. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And he repeats this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, 17. And then finally, Genesis 21, and Isaac is born to the young couple, right? No. Isaac is born, and they're celebrating, but but he's 100 years old. And Sarah, I mean, she's pushing 100 herself. And any time I read this story... So my grandmother lived to be 101 Anytime I read this story, I just envision visiting my grandmother in assisted living, and she's pregnant. And it's just crazy to think about her giving birth just a few years earlier because it's impossible. And humanly speaking, there was no way that Abraham and Sarah could have a child. No way. God had promised. The promise was fulfilled, and you can just imagine the celebration that they had. And then the next chapter of the story. Genesis 22, which James is referring to in our passage, we now get to see Abraham justified by works. So it's about 20 years after Isaac's birth, and God says, Abraham, Abraham, do you love me? Do you love me enough to trust me with everything? And Abraham says, yes, Lord, I do. And then God says, "'Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to me.'" And what happens? Well, there's no hesitation. Abraham and Isaac immediately go to the mountain that God leads them up to. Isaac notices that they've brought wood and fire, which, which would be normal, but he sees that there is no lamb for the sacrifice which would have been something that would have been normal to have. And and, and he asked, Dad, where's the animal? Where's the lamb? Abraham replies, God will provide. And finally, after getting everything ready, Abraham binds Isaac and lays him on the altar. But just as Abraham is about to bring the knife down upon his son, God stops him and God provides a lamb for the offering. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Abraham was in the act of offering up his only son, for he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Or in the words of James, verse 22, Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. In other words, Abraham was justified by works. He proved his right standing with God by holding nothing back from God. In that act, he was demonstrating, I do love you and I trust you with everything. Abraham demonstrated his faith by His works. Because you see, real living faith is alive to others and alive to God. And so what, is that, what does that look like for us today? Well, that brings us to our final point. And so lastly, let, let's consider the, the implications of all of this for us. And again, James is saying I want to show you how you can know you're saved, not how you get saved, not how to become saved, not how to become right with God. I want to show you how you know you have a living faith. Because if you say you have no faith, but these th- because if you say you have faith, but these things are not in your life, then your faith is dead. It's not alive. It's not real saving faith. And so the question before us, is there evidence that you have a real living faith, that, that you're truly alive and right with God, that you're genuinely alive to God, that you're genuinely alive to others. In other words, are you justified by works as proof that you've been justified by faith? Are you justified by works as proof that you've been justified by faith. Now there may be some of you this morning who are here and and you rightly conclude that you're not a Christian. You've heard this and, and you've realized it's that I, no I'm I don't have this real living faith and you know that and and this shouldn't surprise us because in part you know James' purpose is to expose false faith, but friends if that's you this morning, that's actually a good thing. Okay, it's a good thing because it is an invitation, an invitation to real, living, saving faith in Jesus. And so if you're convicted of this, then confess your false faith and ask God for true faith. In fact, the very act of asking for faith is itself a sign that God is is at work in you. And so be encouraged. Well, for everyone, it's helpful to note that there is both a warning and an encouragement in this passage. A warning, uh, pretty, pretty obvious. If you don't see works, then examine your heart to see if your faith is real, genuine. Is it, is it resting in the finished work of Jesus in the cross? And if there are works, making sure that they aren't your attempts to earn God's favor or anyone else's for that matter, but that it's truly faith expressing itself in love. Well, not only a warning, but also an encouragement. Because where you do see works resulting from your faith, celebrate those. Okay, rejoice in that. Embrace the grace that God is pouring into your life and pouring out through your life. Love being expressed because of God's good work in you. Now, you know, when we think about God's work in us, we're often looking for the big, shiny pieces of fruit, aren't we? I mean, the big ones. I want to come Take a look. This big, shiny piece of fruit. Can't you see God is at work in my life? But here's the deal. So much of the time, it is the smaller, easier-to-miss fruit that is significant evidence that God is at work in your life. And so my encouragement is to pay attention, to be curious about what God is doing, because you know, it, it it is too easy to miss those smaller things. And and we can swing in one of two ways. It's all too easy to either feel defeated and down by only seeing our our shortcomings, our inadequacies, our failures, is is probably the direction that I often lean. But then you can swing to the other side of the pendulum and and feel superior to others, thinking that you're doing just fine. I'm looking at my works, James chapter 2, check. But you're just resting in self-righteousness rather than Christ's righteousness. But regardless of where you are this morning, and even if you're just swinging back and forth on that pendulum, regardless, we all need, all of us need to hear the same thing. What we all need is we all need to see Jesus. Okay, and I don't doubt that you see Him, that I see Him. We see Jesus, but what we need is we need to see Him more clearly, more fully, every single day. So I want to end with this. Now think again about Abraham. Okay, Abraham didn't withhold his only son from God. He held nothing back. Again, Abram, Abraham's declaration, I trust you with everything, even when I don't understand it. And it was the greatest expression of love that he could show God. And, of course, we know that ultimately God did not withhold His only Son from us. He held nothing back. He held nothing back because of His great love for you and for me. We know that God the Father went with His Son to the top of a mountain. But this time the Son was not spared because this time He walked His Son up to die on the cross in our place for our sin. The greatest expression of love for us. And to really see that truth, that reality, and, and I realize we can get so familiar with just hearing it. But I'm talking about to really see with both eyes, focused and seeing the depth of this. This reality with the eyes of our heart, this, this, and what James is getting at is this goes beyond just sound doctrine, intellectual assent, a mere profession of faith. It is because it is to see the beauty and the majesty of the creator of the universe, the one who created all things seen and unseen, who created you and me and gave himself in love for us. A love that changes every person who sees it a love that changes hearts. And heart change always leads to life change. It always leads to works of faith, no matter how big or how small. Through the eyes of faith, we are able to see more and more clearly over time God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking Always and forever love. And brothers and sisters, it is a love that will not let you go, ever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, how we thank you. We thank you for giving yourself and love for us. And we would ask now that You would continue to open the eyes of our hearts to see, to see more clearly the beauty and majesty of Your love, and that You, by the power of Your indwelling Spirit, that You would continue to change us and shape us more and more, and to love God, love neighbor people, that our lives would bear much fruit, works of righteousness through You. And it's in Your name we pray, amen.